Hi, welcome to Romance Happy Hour. I'm Dylan Crush. And I'm Don Ludicky. We're bringing you your favorite romance authors. You'll get to hear them read from their books and answer your questions. Now let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Dylan Crush, and um, we're here for our first ever Romance Happy Hour. Yay! Welcome, welcome. Um, I write contemporary romance with sizzle and sass. My first book, All American Cowboy, came out on July 3rd. And my next book, Cowboy Christmas Jubilee, which is in the same series, will come out on October 30th. Um, and then the third book will come out next summer. And um, Dawn, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Dawn Ludicky. I write uh, contemporary and historical romance. Um, I have a my Montana Mountain series is out with Kensington. I just had a release, Fiery Passion, on uh, September 11th. And I am very excited to be here. And Aidy? Hi, everybody. I'm Aidy Award. I write curvy girl romance, um, erotic curvy girl romance, and paranormal. Um, I just launched the first book in my new curvy seduction saga um, last week. And book two comes out on Saturday. Yay. Congratulations. Thank you. Yay. Well, and part of the reason behind, I, I guess I just want to tell you a little bit about why we started Romance Happy Hour. Don and I were looking for a way for um, authors and readers to connect. So we wanted to create a place for romance readers and the authors who love them. So we came up with this idea and how it's going to work is we, we plan on airing two episodes a month on the second and fourth Thursday. And we'll have three authors who will read an excerpt from their work and we'll have time for Q&A and then we'll do some giveaways. And we also decided since it's happy hour that we will have a featured beverage of the week. Um, this week I came up with Sex on the Farm and I fixed myself a double. Um, Edie, what are you drinking? I'm making one right now, and mine is called a kinky grapefruit. It's a uh, grape, sparkling water, and kinky red. Yeah. That sounds really good. My cherries are dripping everywhere, so I'm going to go ahead and plop them into my beverage. And, Dawn, what are you drinking? I am d drinking Sex on the Farm. Um, my husband mixed it up for me before he took the kids out for the night. So, uh, it's just it's vodka and peach, uh, 99 peaches or peach schnapps, um, a little bit of cranberry juice, a little bit of orange juice, and some garnishes. Yummy. Yeah, I that's figured, what I've got. Really good. I figured since you have a Texas um, contemporary western and I have my historical, sex on the farm would be the best. <laughs> I think it's very appropriate. Um, all right. So I'm up first. I didn't want to be first, but... <laughs> They made me go first. So I'm going to read from um, All American Cowboy. And this is just to kind of set up the scene for you guys. This is, um, it's the second time that Beck and Charlie have met. The first time she pulled him out of the ditch, he, he uh, got his rental SUV into a ditch. And um, so she pulled him out and she introduced herself then as Charlotte. She goes by Charlie. And so now he is coming around to the Rambling Rose, which is honky tonk that the whole book kind of revolves around. He's inherited this honky tonk. 
And um, so this is what happens when he realizes that Charlie is actually Charlotte, who he met earlier that day. Oh gosh, okay, I hate reading aloud, but all right, I'm doing it for you guys, I'm doing it, here we go. Charlie scanned the main room of the honky tonk. Her only full-time waitress, Dixie, had strung giant foam seashells from the overhead beams and draped fisherman's netting over the tables. If that's how she wanted to decorate for the annual Rocky Mountain Oyster Days, Charlie was more than happy to let her take the lead. One less thing for Charlie to take care of. Sully would have been proud. Sully, by the way, um, is the previous owner of the Rambling Rose who is dead. So if you hear me refer to Sully, sorry, I should have said that before. Anyways, Sully would have been proud. Everyone had rallied after his death and done their part to keep things going. The place would never be the same without him, but Charlie would do her best to make sure the Rambling Rose retained the down-home Texas hospitality it had been known for over the years. And to think, all of this could be hers. A lightness filled her chest as she considered what that would mean. She'd met with Mr. Hill that morning, and he'd gone over Sully's will. She'd known how important it was to Sully that the Rambling Rose stay in the family. Toward the end, he'd sent multiple letters to his son and grandson. They'd all gone unanswered. Charlie always felt like the granddaughter he'd never had, but to hear him express the same sentiment right before he died made her more determined than ever to find his family and convey how important it was to keep the place going. Yet as close as they'd, as they'd been, she'd never expected Sully to see her as a potential heir. So when Mr. Hill told her the will stipulated that Sully's grandson had until the Founders Day Parade to prove himself or the Rambling Rose would be hers, Charlie had almost fallen out of her chair. Now she had a decision to make, either help the floundering fish out of water or make sure he didn't succeed. Based on what she'd seen so far, it wouldn't take much to run him out of town. She sighed and stepped behind the long bar. Playing dirty wasn't her style, unless she was knee deep in mud wrestling with baby back. She'd do what she needed to do to make good on her promise to Sully and try to keep the rambling rose in the holiday family. Although spending three months with the wisecracking, good-looking New Yorker might feel like an eternity. Hey boss, Shep, one of the regular bartenders, shot her a smile as he unloaded a rack of beer mugs onto a shelf. Looks like we'll be packing them in tonight. Charlie nodded while she ran a rag over a spill on the counter. You need any help behind the bar tonight, just holler, okay? I'm still looking for a backup for you. Oh, I'll be able to keep up. And if I get into a jam, I'll grab Cash or Waylon or someone to help. Sounds good. Her brothers had really come through for her over the past couple of months. Family came first. That was one of the values her parents had instilled in all of the Walker kids. It was still early, but most of the long wood tables had already been claimed. Folks lined the hard plank benches enjoying the warm-up band. They were here for the headliner, a kid from San Marcos who had taken Nashville by storm. Playing the Rambling Rose was a rite of passage, especially for a relative local. And though she'd been in charge of managing the nightly shows for the past eight years, even Charlie didn't know who might show up and take the stage for an impromptu set. Shep set the empty rack on the ground and stepped around her to pull on the tap and fill a mug. Charlie moved down to an empty section of the bar. She leaned on her elbows, resting her chin in her hands. Dixie bobbed through the tables, delivering mugs and bottles of beer. Music blared from the speakers while the crowd clapped along to the beat. The neon signs cast a warm glow around the edges of the room and the scent of just smoked ribs drifted out of the kitchen. Looked like another successful Friday night was on tap at the Rose. Before things got rocking, she'd better make sure Baby Back got her dinner. Hey, I'm gonna go feed Baby Back, she called out to Shep as she hung the dish rag on a hook. That crazy ass pig's giving you more trouble than the last two or three combined, Shep said. I know, I know, but it's a tradition, right? If you ask me, they got some pretty strange traditions around here. 
Shep held the empty dish rack to his side and passed her on his way to the kitchen. He was right about that. He'd only been there for about four months. Just wait until he saw what kind of traditions they had coming over the summer. Charlie followed him down the hall and grabbed the bucket of kitchen scraps the cook always saved for baby back. The pig was spoiled rotten. Maybe that was part of the reason she took off all the time. She was probably bored to within an inch of her life and looking for adventure. Baby back had gotten used to being coddled with kitchen scraps and behind the ear scratches. If she had to do more than pose for pictures and sniff out marshmallows, she might not have the energy to take off every chance she got. With thoughts of how to unspoil Conroe County's most precious pig running through her head, Charlie pushed the screen door right open into the late afternoon humidity and right into the rock solid body of Beck. Apple shavings, corn cobs, and juicy slops splattered between them, covering them both in a mixture of solids and liquid. The slippery mess splattered onto the stairs and as she took a step forward, her feet slid out from under her. Harley's arms flailed. She tried to grab onto the rail, the door, anything before she hit the ground. Her fingers briefly hooked on something, slowing her fall. Rip! The noise dragged on, her fist now closed around a swatch of denim. Beck caught her around the waist seconds before her butt bounced on the top step and she took him down with her. He flung one hand out to his side in an attempt to brace himself. He must have slipped because his body collided with hers. Oof, her breath rushed out as she caught his chin in the center of her breastbone. The bucket clattered down the steps, banging and clanging until it hit the grass. Finally, the movement ceased. Charlie was afraid to move. She couldn't take in a deep breath, not with the hit to her chest and the head of sandy blondish hair nestled between her belly button and her, oh my God, her pubic bone. The hair moved. Beck lifted his head, his mouth hovering just inches above the apex of her thighs. She battled the overwhelming urge to jerk her knee to his groin. What was that? He lifted himself up with one arm and swiped at his eyes with the other. A slow smile spread across his face as recognition took root. Charlie scrambled backward like a crab. She couldn't get out from under him fast enough. What are you doing? Nobody's supposed to come through this door. Didn't you see the sign? Employees only. He rose onto his knees while he wiped the slop off his cheeks with his sleeve. I knew you from earlier. You're the angel with the truck who pulled me out of the ditch. Guilty as charged, although she was feeling anything but angelic at the moment. She got to her feet, not sure what part of her had suffered the bigger bruise, her backside or her pride. And you work here? He stood, towering over her, making her feel small and all of a sudden unsure of herself. Smart as a whip, this one. You figure that all out by yourself there, Einstein? She didn't mean to lash out, but he set her off balance and firing back with words had always been her go-to move. Whoa, were you always this friendly, Miss Charlotte? She blew out a breath, embarrassed. Her mama had raised her with better manners than this. Sorry, it's been a long day. You're telling me. Beck looked over the slop covering his sleeves. What's this? Smells like someone's leftovers. That's one thing you're right about. I was on my way to feed the pig or freaking dinner. She held the swatch of denim out to him. I think this belongs to you. He squinted at the offering. What's that? Flushed, she lowered her gaze to the tips of his boots. I believe it's, sorry, was your pocket. Beck patted his ass with his hand, then twisted around, trying to see where the pocket had been. You stole my pocket? Charlie bit her lip and cast her eyes toward the sky, wishing, hoping, maybe even saying a little prayer that this was all a dream, a bad one, a nightmare of epic proportions. The clouds didn't part. Looked like she was on her own. Hey, I'm sorry about ripping your jeans. My new jeans. He finally took the piece of fabric. Your new jeans. I'd be happy to replace them. She scooted past Beck to retrieve the bucket from the grass. He put out a hand to catch her, but the slop had lubed up her forearm and it slid from his grip. He called after her. Before you stomp off into the sunset, can you direct me to the man in charge? Mr. Hill said I needed to ask for Charlie. She whirled around to face him. Are all of you Yankees so obtuse? 
excuse me? Charla Walker, I go by Charlie. Oh, crap. Beck lifted a hand to his head like he wanted to run it through his hair, but thought better of it and let it fall to his side. You're the one who's been taking care of the place since my grandfather passed? Since he passed and for about eight years prior. So much for making nice. She bit her tongue to keep from unleashing everything she wanted to say to Sully's sorry-ass grandson. How could he let Sully's letters go unanswered? Why didn't he ever call or write or visit? How much effort would it have taken for him to give the poor old man a tiny bit of joy in his final months? And you're a woman. She couldn't have prevented her eyes from rolling even if she had wanted to. Last time I checked. I'm sorry, I assumed. Miss Walker, Charlotte, can I call you Charlie? Suit yourself. I think we're getting off on the wrong foot. Can we start over? A smile she was sure had prevented many women from getting a good night's sleep graced his face. Even covered in splatters of slop, undeniable charm rolled off this man in waves. He offered her his hand. Charlie, it's nice to officially meet you. Her gaze lingered on his fingers, which were still covered in potato peelings and a thin layer of slop. What the heck? Hers were just as bad. She gripped his hand, feeling the warmth, even through the slime. His smile hit her with a slow burn low in the gut. She squeezed her eyes shut into a long blink and gave a jerky shake of the head. Don't even go there, Charlie. She slid her hand from his. If he thought he could barge in here. What? Oh. Sorry. Sorry. If he thought he could barge in here, flip on the charm and instantly earn her support, well, he had another think coming. This day had gone from bad to worse. Of all the men in New York City, why had she been saddled with this one? Because he was Sully's grandson, that's why. At the thought of her old boss, her anger petered out. Her Sully, she reminded herself. At the rate she was going, she'd have to chant the reminder for the next three months. Do you have a towel or something I can use to clean up? Beck asked. Sure. Charlie wheeled around and led him inside a few steps to the storeroom. She handed him a clean bar towel and pointed toward the sink. You can clean up over there, although you'll probably want to run over to the B&B to shower and maybe change your jeans. When you get back, I'll show you around and introduce you to the rest of your staff. His head cocked at the emphasis. Thanks. He turned toward the sink, wiping his face free of baby Beck's dinner. She lingered, letting her gaze run up the long, denim-clad legs over his perfect ass, snugly encased in a new pair of Levi's, minus the pocket, of course. Her gaze darted to his feet. The sockless loafers were gone, replaced by a pair of working man's ropers. Whitey had probably had a heyday giving Beck a proper hill country makeover. If he was willing to take her advice, maybe he wasn't completely hopeless. A drop of slop slid down her forehead onto her nose, reminding her she probably looked like a modern-day swamp thing. She figured she had just enough time to find something to feed baby back, then run home and get cleaned up herself. So I'll be back in a bit, okay? It sounds good. Beck lifted his hand in an awkward wave. She headed toward the door, dipping her finger into her front pocket and brushing over the lucky Texas Centennial half dollar Sully had given her right before he died. Even in death, that man knew how to keep her tripping around on her toes. Her Sully, she chanted in her head, and if Beck ruined his chances on his own, she'd be happy to pick up the pieces. Oh, there, I survived. Yay! I love Baby Back. <laughs> Cheers, Dylan. That was great. Yep, I think Baby Back is going to be uh, most people's favorite character. So if you readers haven't seen her book yet, they have the cutest little pig oh. that runs up and down the pages. Yeah, yeah I don't know if I can. Well, I don't know if it'll work. But I don't know. You can't really see it, can you? Kind of. A little you're kind of out of the everything is backwards you know if i move right yeah. it, it moves my book left so there you go yeah, wreaks havoc on her book <laughs> so, so um now we're uh, we're going to be open for questions afterwards sorry i'm not i'm taking over um yep. 
Ask Dylan anything. <laughs> and I don't know. Oh, you guys can't see the questions. We're still kind of trying to figure out the technical part. But um, yeah, you guys can't um, see the comments people are making, can you? No, no we I can. can. You can? Yeah. Okay. I'm actually following on Facebook Live right now. <laughs> That's where it was you talking back to yourself. When oh, gotcha. Okay. I thought uh, I thought one of your little people had um, no, come back in or something. Don and I have been making comments in the comments. Yeah. I see that now. I was trying not to pay too close attention to that while we were actually, um, while I was actually reading. Oh. All right. All right, any questions for me? I want to know how you came up with some of the names of the places, like the Rambling Rose and Baby Back and all those. I mean, Baby Back, okay, I get it. Because delicious. <laughs> but <laughs> the other places that are in your town. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just, the Rambling Rose, I, I was thinking of Texas and Yellow Rose, and um, but the Rambling Rose is not yellow. It's actually uh, Bismol Pink. So picture this giant honky-tonk that um, is down in the hill country, so kind of southeast Texas. No air conditioning. They've just got these, you know, screened windows and these flaps that lift up when it's... Um, when they need to air it out with ceiling fans and stuff. And the whole building is painted uh, just really wonderful shade of, of Pepto-Bismol pink. Um, so so yeah, but it gets into a little trouble when he tries to redecorate um, in one of the scenes in the book. But yeah, it was fun. Um, Charlie's brothers, her and her siblings are all named after country western stars that have, you know, supposedly played at the Rambling Rose. So her oldest brother is Waylon. And then there's Cash, Statler, Presley, and Strait. Although Presley gets his knickers in a knot because, you know, everybody else is named after this, you know, burly country western star. And he's named after Elvis Presley. But but Elvis actually did play some country when, yeah, when yeah. he started. He was in the country. Country and gospel. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I'm going to keep us moving along um, and let Dawn go. And if anybody has another question for me, we'll have time at the end. Wait, Dawn, before you go, I want to ask everybody who's watching, Linda and Glenda and Kathy and Dawn, um, if you guys will share our broadcast so that more people can come and see us. That'd be great, yeah, or invite your friends to watch. All right, so um, I'm reading an ex excerpt, um, just actually it's the first scene from Fiery Passion that was released on Tuesday. Um, just to preface this, uh, this series is about a logging com uh, company in 1890 or 1889 Montana, um, and the, heroes in all of my books are rivermen. They ride the logs down the rivers, um, down the whitewater rap rapids on top of it. They're, they're said to be touched in the head and have a devil-may-care attitude towards life. And so that's where I got my heroes um, from for this series. And so this is Wall. He's kind of more of the um, studious kind uh, riverman but he's kind of torn between two worlds. So um, here we go. Wall Adair set back to enjoy the scene as Victoria Harrison, 
the new owner of the Great Mountain Lumber Mill tiptoed her dainty silk-covered slippers through the ankle-high mud. Somewhere between the train depot and the stockyards, Victoria had parked her expensive buggy. Now she picked her way across the st a street even he didn't like to trudge through. The question was why? Not that he didn't enjoy the show. In all his years working for the daring woman's father, and now the woman herself, he'd only met her the year before when she visited the camp, thinking herself engaged to Garrett, the old leader of the Rivermen, known to all as the Devil May Cares. She'd flounced into camp, snubbing all but Garrett. Now Wall would return to work and find out just what sort of woman could run the biggest lumber mill this side of the Rocky Mountains, especially since she couldn't be much older than 25 at most. A viper, no doubt. Curious, Wall leapt from his seat on the top rung of the fence just in time to splash mud on her full, dark blue skirt. He cringed, expecting to hear a screech similar to the ones his four sisters gave whenever he offended their wardrobe. Like his paw taught him, he swept his large brim cowboy hat off his head and ducked his chin. Sorry, ma'am, I didn't mean to. It's fine. I needed to clean my dress anyways, and today is wash day. She said the words with a quiver of encouragement, but... He didn't believe it, not for even a moment. Not when she swiped at it furiously with her gloved hand, only to spread it along the fine fabric. He tipped half his mouth back in a grin at the sight. The top of her shoulders dropped and she stared at him once more with a frown. He smoothed the edge of his hat between the pinched fingers of his left hand. Every time her eyes met his, his stomach flipped like he'd just launched from a log into the deadly white water beneath a log jam and he hated the listless feeling of falling into the unknown. Can I help you with something? I was looking for Garrett. At the stockyards? He didn't bother to hide his shock. Garrett owned the local railroad company, but the train wasn't due to pick up the traded bulls at the stockyards for another day, and his friend wasn't always on it. Unless Victoria was shut away in her white tower for the last 20-something years, she knew the train schedule. Everyone in Missoula did. Is there something I can help you with? Victoria pursed her lips and flicked her gaze out past the train station building. Wall followed her line of sight, but the only thing he could pick out was the that the daft woman might possibly stare at was the train depot itself, a few hundred yards away, past sections of muck and rail lines. He dropped one muddy foot on the bottom rung of the fence and leaned on his knee. The Lord hadn't skimped on materials when he made Victoria Harrison, but she knew as much. With long, dark hair and eyes to match the most delicious chocolate dessert at a fancy table, she possessed beauty and brains and a bit of sass, which made a woman like her irresistible. Too bad she was the boss and dead set on being the man of whatever household she graced. While one hand grasped a folded piece of paper, she reached up with a second to rub the sapphire stone in the silver necklace she wore, still staring off into the distance. Silence stretched between them until his gut twisted in concern. Not for the venomous woman before him, but because he knew that look. She'd gotten herself into some trouble. Miss Victoria, he questioned, and let his foot drop to the ground once more, hoping it would not It would be enough to break into whatever thoughts caused her eyes to change from the color of well-oiled leather to the hue of the filthy mud staining her dress. My apologies, she glanced around the stockyards with her brows drawn together and limp lips pinched tight. Whatever caused the wrinkle in her forehead didn't sit right. She may be a vixen hell-bent on getting her way, but the look in her eyes was like the one his troublemaking sister Willa got whenever she needed help. If there was one thing that could get his attention, it was a woman in need. 
Victoria threw back her shoulders. Do you know where Garrett might be? There's a matter of some importance and I need his help. He and Beth took off up the mountain this morning to offload my steam pulley. He won't return until tomorrow night. He's got to come back and pick up the loader men and supplies. Victoria's shoulders dropped once more and she glanced back at the spot as if she expected a bull to come charging around the corner. Wall took a step closer. What do you need? I can help <clears throat> until Garrett gets back. No, I'll be fine. Now, if you excuse me, she bowed her head slightly and turned to walk away. He studied the sway of her hips as she picked her way through the muck. The filthy hem of her skirts dragged in the mud like a child who didn't want to go to Sunday services. Where in the world was she going? Her fancy carriage was parked in the opposite direction from where she walked now, but she'd headed toward whatever spot she'd stared at while they spoke. Wall always listened to his gut, and his gut told him that something wasn't right. I swear on the good book, he mumbled out loud. If she's headed toward something dangerous, I'll kill her myself. Who are you talking to? Who are you going to kill? He recognized his brother's voice and turned as Jack stepped up, stopped up next to him. The youngest of the Adair brood and only other male in the family besides their father and grandpap, who they called Pappy. The kid had grown significantly over the last season and now rivaled Wall in height. In another year or two, he'd be looking up at his younger brother, who otherwise could have been his mirror image. Wall motioned toward where Victoria finally managed to find a dry patch of land and to walk on. My boss lady, he slapped his brother on the shoulder. You wouldn't mind taking care of the bulls, would you? I've got something I need to do before we head to the hotel. Pappy wants to, us to meet, wants to meet us when we're finished so we can eat. I'll find you at the hotel and if, if I'm done on time, if not, then tell Pappy I had some business to attend to. He should be fine with it unless he wants us to tell Pa that he left us to sell the bulls alone while he went and shopped for a new cowboy hat and boots like a woman. I ain't telling him that, his brother said with a frown. But I will make an excuse for you as long as I don't have to come bail you out of the hooskow for murdering your boss. Murder isn't what I'd like to do with that woman. Wall gave a half smile and glanced over his, his brother's shoulder to where the bulls they'd driven over that morning stomped restlessly in the holding pen. Make certain they give you no less than a thousand for the lot. If they try to bulldoze you, then tell them no deal. But Pa told us not to come home with the bulls. He don't care how much they give us. You, me, and Pappy knows that, but the buyers don't. Keep a hard stare and you'll get what you ask for, especially for these bulls. His brother nodded and Wall rushed past, studying the corner of the building where Victoria had disappeared moments before. His gut told him to hurry. Whatever the woman was into, and no matter how independent she fancied herself, she needed a man. Wall rounded the building in time to see the flash of her blue dress swishing into the alley across the street, and his stomach tightened as his blood pumped hard through his veins. What in the good Lord's name was she doing? He searched the streets, but other than a few passersby, oblivious to anyone not in their past, no one appeared to give one wit about Victoria's business, except him. With care to avoid the piles of manure dotting the streets, he followed her into the alley and slid among the shadows as best he could. Halfway down the line of buildings, Victoria stood partially turned away from him as she met with Luther, a man who had been fired from the mill last season. Wall pressed his back against the building to keep out of sight as he picked his way silently down the alley. Victoria gasped as if needing extra air. 
and she crumbled the paper in her hands as Luther scowled and mumbled something low enough only she could hear. Wall inched his way closer until Luther's words were clear enough to understand. If you don't, Miss Harrison, Luther said, I can't guarantee you'll make it past this season. Victoria lifted her chin. I will not be blackmailed by a bunch of vagrants, and I certainly won't be bulldozed by their half-wit lackey. You can tell your friends that should they set foot near my camps, they will be shot on sight. And believe me when I say my men don't miss. They may be a bunch of hardened loggers, but they are crackpot shots. I know all too well what sort of men you employ up there. I can stop this from happening, but not if you aren't willing to help yourself. Take the deal. No. If you don't, if you don't know what you're getting yourself into, um, I, it'd be best if you were back home worrying about how to find a man too blind to see your flaws as a woman. Luther pressed his hand over his chest and with finger flayed across his shirt fabric. You're in over your head. You're going to fail. I'm just trying to help you out here. I wouldn't want you to grow old alone. Victoria opened her mouth to speak and took a step forward. There you are, Wall said, emerging from the shadow before she had a chance to respond. I thought the meeting was in the alley behind the bank. Wall hurried to stand next to her, looped his arm around her waist, and tugged her protectively to his side. He didn't trust Luther not to hit a woman. The man was no better than a river rat. Victoria's lashes fluttered as she peered up at him. Her lips puckered as though the words had frozen in her mouth, and brown eyes flashed somewhere between shock and gratitude. Lordy, she was pretty. Even with her face stuck in a funny expression, pretty and dangerous, judging by the earful he was going to receive for interfering. He smiled down at her and then turned his attention back to Luther. I meant to be here before Miss Victoria so I could send you packing with a warning or two to remember. Luther snarled. You're not involved in this wall, stay out. Miss Victoria's safety is of utmost concern to me. I will not stay out of Great Mountain business as long as she's in danger. You mean Big Mountain business. It's the Big Mountain lumber mill, Luther's face twitched. Us homeboys like to call it Great Mountain because that's what it is to the people of Bonner. Great. Great for the town and great for the lives of the people within. Luther curled his lips back. You're all the same, you devil boys, sticking your nose where it shouldn't be and acting like the world belongs to you. This world does. See, I'm a sort of a business partner now, and I believe she gave you an answer. If you ever threaten her or any other woman at Great Mountain again, you can guarantee I'll snap every bone in your body before feeding you to the wolf pack that lives near the logging camp. Wall gave him a smile and tipped his hat before picking up Victoria's hand and entwining it through his arm to guide her out of the alley, leaving the sniveling little fool to stutter to himself. They rounded the corner to the nearest building when Victoria regained her composure and yanked her arm from his. What did you do? From what I saw, I saved your pretty little hide. You've ruined everything. I beg your pardon? You went and lied about our partnership and they certainly aren't going to take me seriously as a businesswoman now if they think I have a man calling the shots. I hate to break it to you, but they don't take you seriously as a... He stopped talking once her icy glare permeated his thoughts. She halted and crossed her arms. If it wasn't for the mud and dung bogging down her feet, he sus suspected she'd be tapping one impatient foot. Don't stop now, he urged, hoping she wasn't going to be the one to go to the Huskow for murdering him. You're standing in the middle of horse shit. 
She jerked her gaze down and yanked up her skirts to view her feet, ankle deep in manure. Wall chuckled as her chin quivered. She tried valiantly to walk with dignity, but tripped. He might find the whole situation amusing were the pathetic person in question anyone but Victoria Harrison. Without waiting for her to argue, he took her elbow and entwined her arm through his once more. As expected, she fought to yank her hand free. Don't get your back up, and Ma taught me to always help a woman cross the street. He studied Victoria's raised chin and chuckled, even a woman as surly and vulnerable as the one by his side. I would do the same for big old barmaid named Gertrude if she were the one to step in dung. Aren't you the charmer, Victoria quipped as she leaned onto his arm for support. Gertrude has never complained. He smiled and maneuvered so they walked along the less muddy sections of the stockyard as they progressed toward the pretty little buggy. I'm certain she hasn't. Victoria straightened her back and eased her arm away from him when she was once more on solid land. Do you even know what you've entangled yourself into by inf interfering back there? From what I gather, you're an easy target because you're a woman in a man's world and should be back home finding a husband who will look past your advanced age and manly disposition. She answered by growling at him and stepping hard onto her buggy. What did I say? Is there more to it? Stay out of my business, Mr. Adair, else you might find yourself being nothing but a filthy cowboy for the rest of your life. You certainly won't work at Great Mountain if you irritate me further. I can always find another logger eager to fill your position with the devil may cares. Without another word, she snapped the reins and sent her buggy rolling, barely missing his toes as he stepped back. Wall shrugged and turned to check for his brother among the cattle and cowboys, but he wasn't there. He headed toward his horse. Victoria was right about one thing. If he wasn't careful, he could lose his job at the lumber camp. And it would make his pappy and pa damn happy to have him back home to help on the homestead. He wasn't ready to settle down on the Lazy Heart Ranch, not just yet. Victoria's spirit reminded him of the Bay Mustang he'd tamed five years ago, wild and unmanageable. The mare had bucked and kicked whenever anyone tried to approach her, even took one of their cowhands' fingers clean off with one good bite. But in the end, Wall had won the battle. It had taken him almost a year to gain the animal's trust. But by God, he'd broken the beast with a strong hand and hard determination. Maybe what Victoria needed was to be tamed like the mare. Yeah. Dude! <laughs> That's my book! <laughs> I mean, cheers to that, though. <laughs> <laughs> to that. Oh, yeah, I got a couple, a couple minutes. If anybody has any question, I'm, question. I'm writing a good Gertrude for the story. U.S. Gertrude, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So yep. I've read a couple of your logging books now, and I want to know how much research did you have to do? I did a lot of research. Um, went to museums in Montana when I visited, and I had a bunch of books and internet um research on it well i initially discovered this by discovering the logging the whole river the river crew um but i tried to tailor my book as closely to possible as the way they would have done the logging industry in montana versus like wisconsin or oregon where it's vastly different so a lot of the um tools and ways that they did things were tailored specifically to 
the Missoula the region. In fact, I just had a I just had a review yesterday or the day before from somebody and it like almost made me cry. I was very excited. Um, they said that they grew up in 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 a logging family and watching the men ride the rivers, the logs down the river. And she's so glad to finally have a a book that takes her back to her childhood. So that made me feel Nice. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Those are the ones that just kind of hit you right in the heart. So, yeah. I love especially it. you got it right. Yay. Um, when is your book set? What year? 1889. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Montana was founded in like 1936, or Missoula was. Um, it wasn't really established until the 60s. 80s, 60s, but by 1890, it was kind of like a ing booming by then. So, yeah. And Bonner, uh, when I wrote the book, Bonner itself was still a logging town, but shortly after the first book was set to be released, um, the town of Bonner actually died because the logging company there did go under and the whole town pretty much died. It's sad. Logging is a tough business. My actually, my entire dad's side of the family is from Montana, and I grew up in a logging family. So that's super cool. Hey. <laughs> this book, it's very cool. Yeah, I didn't know that, Rudy. I know. <laughs> that the scent of sawdust always reminds me of my dad. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, well, I, it looks like it's your turn, Miss Eighty. I think it is. So. Um, <laughs> And I will go back and answer the question about the pigs. Sorry, there was a question about the pigs. So just wanted to know. I'm ignoring it. I'll go back and answer it at the end. All right. Okay. All right. So now we're going to hear um, from 80. Dylan um, told me I had to pick out a scene that was PG-13, which was actually a little bit hard to do. <laughs> I wondered if you could find one. <laughs> I know. So um, I'm going to read a scene from the first book in the Kirby Seduction Saga. Um, it's from chapter one, um, and it's pretty PG-13, mostly. <laughs> um, and then, no wonder you wanted to go last, so you could be <laughs> the late hour. <laughs> yeah, on the late, late show. That's definitely great. <laughs> um, and then um, when I sent out in my newsletter today that we were doing this, I promised them a sneak peek at Rebellion, which comes out on Saturday. So I also picked a short scene from that, but I kind of had to redact it a little bit because it wasn't PG-13. <laughs> so I'm just telling you guys that now. So, all right, I'm going to read um, just part of chapter one from Rebound. Um, Rebound is the first book in the Kirby Seduction Saga, um, which stars Angelina, uh, who is a billionaire uh, Latina who's just broken up with her boyfriend at the beginning of this chapter um, and who's had a love crush on her bodyguard for years. And so that's uh, that sets up the beginning of this scene. So chapter one is called Looking for a Mark. Mark is her ex-fiance's name. Yeah. All right. A glass of red wine might work for an evening out with the girls, but not for tonight. Not right after the night that shall not be named. 
the worst and best night of my life. The epic dumping. Who dumped whom was up for debate. I was the one who threw the 15th century blue and white porcelain vase at Mark's head and kicked him out of the house. Ming schming. The thing was a cliche. And so was a fiance sleeping with a girl's best friend. I was tired of being a cliche. So tonight was a whiskey with a tequila chaser kind of night. A drink alone at the end of the counter in a dark corner of a bar way below my pay grade kind of night. A drunken one night stand night, if ever there was one. I yanked on the door handle to get out of the back of the limo only to find it locked. I flicked the switch to unlock it and it clicked right back down. Damn it, Grayson, let me out of the car, stupid sexy bodyguard. He turned his head to glare at me. Angel, listen to the words coming out of my mouth. This is a stupid idea. There are better ways to get revenge. I could kill Mark, for example. That's a sweet offer, I said, trying to keep the enthusiasm out of my voice for the idea. Most likely he meant it. He was an ex-super secret sneaky military man, and I had no doubt he could murder my former fiance, slowly and painfully, chopping him up into teeny tiny pieces, and then hiding the body where no CSI, New York, Miami, or cyber would find it. Maybe next time. This was my revenge and my plan, and it was going to feel so good. Not only when I saw the look on the asshole's face the second he found out about my naughty night out, but I intended to have fun during the actual revenge sex part too. I know what I'm doing and you agreed to help me. No backing out now. He raised one eyebrow about two degrees. He thought he had such a poker face. I agreed to help you have some fun celebrating your freedom from that dickhead. Right, and I can't think of a better way than to do all the things Mark never wanted to do, and better yet, with a random rebound guy. Random and short term. That way, there was no chance of real rejection from anyone I thought was as important a part of my life. Like Gray. I flicked the switch to unlock the door again. It instantly flipped back down. Sigh. Apparently, my lecture wasn't over yet. Your father will want to kill me. I was determined to blithely sit while Gray reproved of all the ways going out tonight was a security risk. But that comment was a low blow, and he knew it. I glared at Gray, hoping he could feel the steel of my daggers of death for even thinking about bringing my family into this. My father and his need to hire a bodyguard for me was and always had been a sore point. You're vulnerable and naive, Angelina. Everyone will take advantage of you and your money, Angelina. A million trillion gazillion dollars isn't too much to spend on you for my peace of mind, Angelina. At least the bodyguard turned out to be Grayson. Usually kind, easygoing, and he was hot to boot. But tonight was not about my father or Gray. It was about revenge and sex. If this is about the sex, a one-night stand isn't. He knew me too well. I held up a hand. It's not about the sex. I didn't want to talk about my crappy sex life with the man who inspired more than one of my dark fantasies. If it was just about the sex, I, would have thrown, I wouldn't have thrown Mark out. I had already resigned myself to the facade of a happy once-a-month missionary-style marriage. Lord knows I would have been the on, wouldn't have been the only Upper East Side woman grinning and bearing life without orgasms. If Gray really thought it was as easy as all that, 
He would have taken me to bed when I threw my drunken self at him that night. I wasn't his type. Gray's women were all exotic beauties with perfect bodies. Not a boring, big-bottom girl trying to be the perfect Susie socialite. The extra ten degrees of eyebrow lifting said Gray didn't believe me. Fine. I swallowed and rolled my eyes at myself for thinking I could get anything past him. It's a little bit about the sex. <laughs> I can't wait to read it now. So that's the beginnings of Gray and Angelina. And spoiler alert, they do go into the bar. <laughs> um, so I have one other. So that's the beginning of Rebound. Um, Gray and Angelina's book, uh, story is a trilogy. Um, and I see those comments from Linda, and I'm sure if Hopi was on too, that Gray is yours. I know Gray's everybody's book boyfriend. I love him too. Um, and uh, I'm going to ruin it for a couple of you. The Curvy Seduction Saga is two cliffhangers before you get your happy ever after. But their story was really long and had a lot of things to tell. So that's why book two, and I'm trying really hard to put them out as fast as possible so you don't have to wait too long. So book one, Rebound, came out last week. Book two, Rebellion, comes out this weekend, so you don't have to wait too long to see what happens to Gray and Angelina. So let's have, Sarah, you do hear a cat. That's my cat, Uno, who tries really hard to destroy every Facebook Live I am ever on. <laughs> <laughs> what you guys didn't see is he was crawling up into my lap and trying to snuggle, which, adorable, but bad timing, you know. <laughs> Matt Uno on other broadcasts. Yes. <laughs> He has been on where he's been up behind more. <laughs> so naughty. All right, so I have a very short excerpt to read for you guys from Rebellion. Um, I don't want to spoil the ending, the beginning of the ending from Rebound. So this actually happens somewhere mysterious in Rebellion, and I'm not going to tell you when. You'll have to read it to find out. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is just a couple of paragraphs long, but I thought um, one of my readers has told me that this was one of her favorite parts of the book. Um, and so I picked out this section to read for you guys. So again, redacted, previous to this was maybe some sexy times. Um, so this is laying in bed afterwards. Gray says, you have no idea how many nights I've spent imagining these curves. He ran his hands down my rib cage all the way to my hip and back up. This one right here. This curve is my fourth favorite. Fourth? He was the first man who'd ever admired my curves, and it tickled me that he spent this much time thinking about parts of my body. Your rear is number three. He squeezed my butt in both hands, lingering, emphasizing his point. My heart skipped a beat, reveling in the excitement of his adoration of my body my body, the one it had taken me so long to learn to appreciate myself. I could hardly wait to see where his hands went next. Two knuckles slid back up the curve of my hip and waist, past my rib cage, and circled a breast, caressing it gently, skimming the back of his fingers across my skin. These are my second favorite, but it's a close call. I squirmed and waited, but this, he kissed me. Not crushing and hard, but not taking, but giving me a soft touch of his lips. Then he trailed his tongue across my bottom lip. This is my favorite curve you have. When you smile, my love, 
It lights up not just a room, but my whole goddamn world. My heart melted into a puddle of goo right there on the bed. I had men who found me attractive, men who lusted after me, and I'd certainly had the opposite. In every relationship I'd ever had with men, I'd been the, an object of either desire, mediocrity, or even revulsion. Only Grayson broke that mold. To him, I was a person, one worthy of love. He loved me, and more than any other therapy, self-help book, affirmation, or persona I put on, that knowledge helped me love myself too. If I was worthy of his love, I must be worthy of my own. I love that. I know. Love it. When did that one come out? Now we have to do the first one first. Yeah. Definitely have to read Rebound first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, and I told some of my readers this today in my newsletter, and I know I say this about every book, but I for reals mean it this time. I think Rebellion is the best book I've ever written. I'm actually really, really proud of it. And that's hard sometimes for authors to say, but I think Rebellion is really good. And I can't wait for everybody to read it. Well, I'll drink to that. Question Cheers, Adi. For you, Adi. Cheers, Angelina. Do you use real life experience in your writing? <laughs> Here's what's funny about that question, and I get it a lot. Do we ask James Patterson if he kills people to get ready to study his books? <laughs> Actually, yeah, he does. He does, for sure. Obviously, he does. <laughs> I mean, I've, I get that question a lot, and I think it's super funny. And while I use my real emotions and my real feelings, because a lot of my books, all of my heroines are all curvy girls. And so mm -hmm. I put a lot of my own experiences from being a curvy girl into the books. I'm not going to tell you if I ever had sex with anybody like Gray. You <laughs> <laughs> have to wait until you see her in the bar to get answers to those kinds of questions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Buy me a Kiki grapefruit <laughs> in the bar. Okay. Sometime. Well, next time we're at a convention together. Conference together. We're gonna have to go to the bar. A couple more sex on the farms, and maybe then yeah, a little bit. A couple sex on the farms, and then and then maybe you'll answer a question. <laughs> I will say that I do. Mm -hmm. Even some of the love scenes, but I'm not gonna say which one. <laughs> it's my books. I do, but now my husband's gonna kill me when he re see watches this video later. He's like, stop now, Dawn. Stop now. <laughs> intervention. 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 <laughs> you can't admit too much on our very first episode. People won't come back. To be honest, um, when we go to RWA every year and Kristen Higgins inevitably wins a Rita, my very favorite part of her speech every year is when she thanks her hot husband for being good in bed. <laughs> Which is extra adorable because there's no sexy times in her books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is funny. No. I love her book. And I did enjoy her speech this year. I was there. So we didn't get to go. <laughs> Howdy. Do, do you readers have any questions for us? I mean, they all think we're hilarious. Yeah. Oh, I'll go back to the pig question. Oh, yes, answer the um, pig I can't remember now who it, it was. I was. Um, Trying to, oh gosh, I don't remember now who asked it because I can't see 
I'll scroll back up and see if I can weird. Um, but whoever asked the question about the pigs. Um, Glenda says, why did you choose a pig for the story? Yes, sorry, sorry, Glenda. Um, I, I didn't choose a pig. The pig, the pig chose me. Um, I, I think, I think it's hard to explain unless you are someone who typically makes up stories in your head. But um, and my husband, who is probably watching on his phone in the other room right now and laughing at me. Um, I mean, he he's like a finance guy, so he's not creative at all but you know I, I think he's just finally come to accept that people talk to me in my head all the time and it's not something that he needs to worry about um but yeah i i just when i'm writing a book i i just and i'm what they call a pantser but i'm really trying to be more of a plotter somebody who plots things out ahead of time because when you're a pantser i have found that then there's a lot more fixing to do on the back end um at least in my situation. And so I've tried to plan ahead more, but but then it, it doesn't matter. Um, strange things just keep showing up. In book two, you'll um, you'll get a taste of that. And then if you read book three in a holiday, I don't even, I can't even tell you what happened there, but there are horny toads and um, it just, they just show up. So the pigs showed up. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. The pig just showed up. And actually, I don't know if you can see, Baby Duck is sitting up on my shelf back there. Um, so yeah, she just showed up. So Dylan and, and I wrote, or I was writing book three for my series around the same time Dylan was editing or working yours. And there's a pig mm -hmm. in mine too, but he's a male. And so Dylan and I are going to write some, you know, sometime in our lives, a time, what is it? Um, time travel pig romance for yes. Frank, my pig, and baby back to get together. But I gave you a beaver. You did. So, yeah. So, but that was, <laughs> I think that was in book two, Wild Passion. I had major, yeah. major, major writer's block. And I texted Dylan and I'm like, I have writer's block. I don't know what to do. I have to get this book in to my editor. And she said, well, since it's a logging book, when in doubt, insert a beaver. And it worked. <laughs> if you read. in your book. If you want people to know that beaver is in your book. Yeah. Read Wild Passion and find the beaver. You'll know where I had my, where I had my writer's block. Dylan, I have beavers in my book too. Yeah. <laughs> different kind, a different kind. I mean, I mean, this is like a new trope. Different, different kind. I have different kind. All right, so we have a couple more questions. Um, there went that idea. <laughs> Sarah Davis asked if everyone's married. I am married. To each other? <laughs> no. Yes. I'm sorry. Did I mention that I made my drink a double? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Yes. Don, you're married. I, I'm married for, I don't need, he's going to kill me for not knowing this too, but it's either like 16 or 17 years. I think it's 16. A long time. I'm really bad with dates and, and I, my husband's really great at that. He's a good man. <laughs> 
I'm not. How married. about you, Adie? I'm not married. I'm a curvy on okay Cupid. So if any of you want to find me like a rich doctor husband, I'm down for that. You should go on Sugar Daddy. <laughs> I heard that's a I heard that's a real thing. All right. A real thing. The Sugar Daddy up. Get yourself a sugar daddy. <laughs> and I am married also. And my husband inspires every single scene I write, hands down. Absolutely. Yay. That's so cute. All right. Uh, another question was, where did it go? How do you come up with the names for your characters? I Google um, popular names. I, I typically see like what year they would have been born. And then I Google popular names from that that year. And then um, then I just kind of look and see which ones seem sound like my hero, heroine. Dylan, how about you? Um, I do the same thing. I mean, sometimes they just, sometimes they, they tell me their name yeah. um, or their name. Otherwise, I've got, um, Got a couple baby name books. Google and see what names were the next book. I tell you guys in holiday book two, Cowboy Christmas. Really, um, I name my main after my dog. <laughs> oh, because my dog is also a very troubled soul. Um, so my character's nickname is Jinx, and we be Dane on Prozac in Jinx. Although my character is not on Prozac in this book. So it just depends. I think sometimes, you know, sometimes everyone in Dylan's name on the internet. Yeah, you've got the right Is she, am I the only one getting it freezing? Yeah, you're freezing out on us. Dylan's answer is baby names. Yeah. Baby I names. am? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're freezing out I think everyone else in your neighborhood just decided <gasps> to get all at the same time. <laughs> so, okay, what right, I, how about you, Edie? Um, I love the baby name websites for initially coming up with names, but because they have all that great information on them about what the names mean. So my names are always meaningful to my characters in some way. For example, Angelina in this one, obviously it has a reference to angels. And in later books in the series, she owns a club called Angels and Devils. And so that was an important part of that. Yeah. So mine always have some sort of meaning behind their names, but I've had that same experience as Dylan where sometimes the characters just tell you what their name is and you're like, all right, good. Now I don't have to go look it up. Yeah. <laughs> kind of freezing. Um, we got a really good question from Tanya Lucas. She yeah. asked, do you have a special place that you go to unwind and think about your plots for your books? Um, not write, but to brainstorm or do you just start writing? and not knowing what will happen. I plot best when I'm trying to go to sleep. Why don't you answer that, Go ahead. 
Hello, yeah, there's a cat. Okay. <laughs> Uno. So this is Hades, whose name is also meaningful. He's the worst smuggler on the planet. Um, <laughs> I am. So uh, Dylan talked earlier about being mostly a pantser, but trying to be a plotter. I am what I definitely call a planter. I know like my main story points. And if I'm doing a long series, I know the main story points of the series. Um, but then from that, I'm pretty much a pantser. So I have, I have yet to have a pig just suddenly appear, but I've had all kinds of funny things just suddenly appear. For sure I have. Um, Sarah. Uh, well, and we just had a cabin this summer. Um, so I like to, well, so I've really been up there um, to plot and write, but I, I envision that being a place I can go without the munchkins and um, maybe get some some words written and things. Otherwise, I, you know, hate to say this because I don't want to all be but I get a lot of really good ideas in the shower. Yes, yes, that was so, my favorite place. Head yeah. in the shower. Yep. So I get good ideas in the shower, and when I used to go to spin class, I would seem to get my best idea when I would be in the middle of an exercise class on the bike, and I think that's because you're not thinking about it then. Um, if you try to force it, you know, you got to kind of let the ideas develop and and kind of marinate, and um, and it's things tend to kind of pop up. The answer to a plot problem or something like this tends to pop up when I finally give up trying to. So, mm -hmm. I, uh, I don't know. go to the gym. Wait, 80. Sorry, I go to the gym to. Uh, I don't find my. Oh, now, are you frozen? Am I frozen? <laughs> no, you're still there. Okay. Um, I don't find my plots. Paul wants to know how do you get your male perspectives? Yeah. And I think we're trying to keep this to kind of an hour. So maybe we'll answer this and then question and then kind of wrap up oh, do so don't well, yes yes ways to go. last question the one from paul and then all right that sounds that sounds good if anybody else has other questions just put them in the comments and we'll answer them at later yep so paul said how do you or how do you get your male perspectives so i was just gonna that was i was just spinning nope. off here she is freezing up bad on my end. Um, I one of the ways is I, I usually have my husband. Can you hear me? If I have a question, um, I'll ask my husband. The other thing is, I I was just gonna say I go to the gym and I watch men and their behavior, how they behave, how they interact, and when I'm doing the. Can you vibe, hear me, Edie? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. How do you get the male perspective? Oh, Don's answering. <laughs> Dawn disappeared. I don't have Dawn online. That's funny because she's in the middle of answering. <laughs> yeah, so I I watch people. I love to watch people, and also my entire life, I I really haven't had a lot of women friends. I I had a lot of male friends. I was a gunner's mate in the in the Coast Guard, so I had a lot of interaction with men and how they think and behave. And that's where I get mine from. Katie? That's a really good way to do it, to the gym. I might have to start just going to the gym just for that. There's no reason to watch them, right? <laughs> um, honestly, I get a lot of my good ideas about how some male characters should behave by watching 
I don't know what you call them, the guy TV shows, like Blue Bloods and like all the cops and robber type shows, and those kinds of things. Um, I get a lot of inspiration from those. One of my favorite, all-time favorite characters is um, the hero in Bones, pay, played by David Bornianas, who used to be. Uh, yeah, right? Great, great, great character. And I love how his mind works. So, yes, sir. I would say yeah. there's him in there. I, I, I get a lot from TV shows because I think those writers do a great job. Yeah. Let's see what else. Mm. Oh, that was our last one. So now we're supposed to do our giveaways. Yes. Yeah. So do you want to say what you're giving away? Um, so I have a couple things to give away. I will give away um, an ebook of Rebound, an ebook of Rebellion, um, and mostly because I don't have my paperbacks yet. They haven't come from Amazon because Amazon's super slow. So no side paperbacks there for Rebound and Rebellion. But you're going to want to read them really fast right away anyway. So you want the ebook. But I do have an old cover from Curvy Temptation, which is um, a spinoff series from my Curvy Seduction saga. Um, and I will sign this one and send it off to somebody. The way to enter to win the giveaway is to go like us on our social media. So pop over to my Facebook page. You can follow us on Amazon. You can follow us on BookBub. Hit us up on Twitter. The more places that you hit us, the more entries you'll get. And then come back here and comment in the sections here. And I always make people tell me that they, they love me when they comment in my comments. So tell me you love me. And I know that you have entered to win. Just tell me where you followed me, and that's how many entries you'll get. Yep, I think we'll do them all the same way. So um, I'm going to give away um, choice of either a signed paperback of All American Cowboy. Um, if you already have that, I don't have my copies yet, but I will. Um, if you already have that, as soon as I get them, I, I can send you instead a signed copy of Cowboy Christmas Jubilee. And um, same thing, we'll, we'll put instructions for the giveaways in the comments of this after we're done with links to all of our, our pages. So you can just click from there. But yeah, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, BookBub, Amazon, um, all the main things. So in every place you follow, you, you could just put one comment, just say, I liked you. Or if you already are, if you already do like me on Facebook, just say that too. If you already like me, then you get an entry for that. Um, but yeah, just put like I followed you on Facebook, Pinterest, book club, and you know, just put it all in the same comment. You don't need to list them all out individually. So yeah, we'll we'll do a drawing. Um, Dawn will see what she's going to give away, and then we'll do a drawing. We're going to leave it open for 24 hours, so we will close it at eight o'clock central tomorrow night, and then um, notify winners right after that. So Dawn, what are you giving away? I am giving away an autographed copy of Fiery Passion, or if you have this one already um we then i can give uh, one of my other books whitewater passion or wild passion same with with dylan and um same thing go like my social media twitter facebook book bob uh goodreads wherever you are and i am like me come back and tell me and you'll be entered to win um also I'm going to do this plug here. <laughs> I am to celebrate the release of fiery passion. I'm giving away, um, the ultimate relaxation gift, um, basket. It includes a 50 minute massage, 
um, at a hand in stone. There's 300 locations all around the U.S. Um, so if you go to my Facebook page and uh, click on that raffle to to win, if you're in the Houston area, I have a Houston specific um, uh, prize as well because um, I have two to give away, but one's Houston specific. Um, you can thank Cannon Stone Webster for giving those to me to, to give away. So I did want to let you guys know that we will be doing another one of these on um, September 22nd or 20, believe my last 27th, uh, Thursday at 8 p.m. Central Time. Um, we are going to be hosting that day Jody Hulford. She is an author of Cozy Mysteries and Contemporary Romance, uh, New York Times and USA Today bestselling author Lexi Post, and Publishers Weekly bestselling author Danica Winters. And those are going to be our guests. Um, on the 27th on our next broadcast. So stay tuned to hear from those amazing uh, women. For, with um, They'll be reading their books and chatting with you as well. And of course, Dylan and I will be here. Um, and we cannot wait to see you all next time. Cheers, ladies. Thanks so much for inviting me to be your first guest. It was super fun. It was a blast. Thanks for coming, Edie. We had a really good time. And, and oh my gosh, look at that. My drink is almost completely empty. <laughs> All right. Well, so we'll see you next time. So, All right. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Romance Happy Hour. To find out who's coming on next or catch up on the video episodes, visit our website at romancehappyhour.com. Don't forget, you can always join us live on the second and fourth Thursday of each month on the Romance Happy Hour Facebook page. To connect with Dawn or me, check the show notes for our contact info. We'll see you next time. Cheers! Cheers.